Amen. Amen. Great job. Praise the Lord. Hey, you know, there's one reason why we're here tonight, and that is because the tomb is empty, the throne is occupied, and Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? That's what all God's people said. That's the reason I'm so excited about being here, man. Thank you guys so much for allowing me to be here. And uh, I was set up because Rich Wingo said, oh, I'll get up and just kind of give a little devotion and then let you speak. Oh my goodness. My, he, I've got two verses in the book of Ecclesiastes. Other than that, he went through the entire Bible. You know what I'm saying? Uh, wow. Can we just honor Rich tonight just by thanking him for bringing the word tonight? Great job, my brother. And then Pastor Mike, thank you so much for allowing us to be here. Uh, Dustin, all your work and getting all this stuff done. Uh, you know, I, I live in Birmingham, been there all my life, and um, uh, I, I, I'm an evangelist. Never said I was going to be an evangelist. I just got passionate about sharing my faith, and that just kind of developed into an organization. And so uh, we do conferences. Uh, thank you. Your students came. Matt brought your students this past January up to Pigeon Forge, where we had, uh, there we go, 11,897 students in the room. Out of that, we had 2,914 decisions for Jesus Christ. Amen? Wow. Hey, I, I've been praying since I was a teenager for God to do something that we saw back last time in the 70s called the Jesus Movement. By the way, a good recap of that's coming out next week called the Jesus Revolution. But what I'm here to tell you is I'm not sure if we have to go to the movies to see it because it's breaking out in college campuses across our country. It's just where people are praying and, they're, and it's spontaneous, it's organic, it's not out of control. Praise God, it's just out of a coma. I mean, it is just in a situation where there's the presence of God. Here's my challenge to us. Let's not allow the students to be the leaders. Allow the men of God to be the leaders. Let's get on our face before him, asking him to show up, because when he shows up, he's going to show off for his glory. I mean, that's principle everywhere we're going on. We're fighting for not only ourselves, we're fighting for our family. We're, you know, I've realized there's three types of Christians. There's the remember when Christians. They're always talking about 25 years ago. You know, it's always better back then. Then the majority of Americans are remember me Christians. I mean, we want to be fat and happy. We want to be satisfied. We want you to serve us, God. We don't want to serve you. But there's a remnant who remembers why. Why are we in this battle? It's always for the generation to come. And my wife and I, we just went through something pretty special. We've had our first grandchild. He's not here, but he is, because I got a picture of him. I'm gonna ask him, bring him up on the screen. This is Titus Jet. He also looks like the old man from the Up movie from Disney, if you don't, if you look at it. Anyway, he's one of those that has just kind of captured our mindset. My wife, Tara, she's come up with the best grandmother's name. She's called Sweet tea, okay? Now, I do student conferences. I wanted to be called Mixed Master Scotty D, but that, that, that's too much. So I, I'm kind of going with G Daddy, okay? Not P Diddy, but G Daddy, because I want him to know that he had a grandfather that loved Jesus with all of his heart. I want to be one of those men that Rich was preaching about tonight to being all in. And I got a new, I'm, I, I, 35 years in the ministry, been a, came to know Christ when I was a child. It, People that I don't believe in childhood conversions, it happened to me. 
but I'm still not where God wants me to be. I'm still on that progressive relationship with him where he must increase and I must decrease, and, uh, but I, I want it. Man, I, I'm talking to some of you inside this room. Let's, let's get off the sidelines. Let's get into that game. Let's be the men of God for our community. So I want you to take your Bibles. Turn with me to Galatians, Galatians chapter six. As you're turning there, I'll tell you that the apostle Paul wrote the book of Galatians. Now, if you know anything about Paul, you know his first name that we hear about him is Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus is introduced to us in uh, uh, the book of Acts. The book of Acts, if you remember, the first time he's mentioned is when Stephen is being martyred for his faith. Stephen's the first martyr of the church. He was a deacon. He had the chance to either stand up for Jesus, profess him as Lord, uh, or sit down and hush up and keep on living. I wonder how many of us would try to rationalize that in our lives. Go, well, I've got one opportunity, but if I sit down, I can keep on living. Well, Stephen stood up for Jesus. And the Bible says when he got to the end of it, they were pricked to their hearts. That meant he got to them. The Holy Spirit started working in those people's lives, but they started gnashing their teeth. That meant they were mad and they were about to stone Stephen. And here's what the Bible says. The men went over and they laid their cloaks at the feet of Saul. That's the first time we hear about this guy named Saul. He was a bad man. You didn't mess with this guy named Saul. He was going to Damascus to persecute more Christians, and on the road to Damascus, something happened to him. Guys, this is where you got to zone in. Look at me. He met Jesus. He didn't meet somebody who knew Jesus. He didn't get some more information about Jesus. He met Jesus. And when Jesus entered into his life, he became so much more than just an addition to his life. Jesus became the transformation of his life. And all of a sudden you see Saul being transformed. He became the, the greatest missionary the world's ever seen. God would use him to grow the church wherever he went. And so he went to this place called Galatia, where we get the book of Galatians. And Galatia was a hustling and bustling city. It was thriving. And so sure enough, Paul was there sharing his faith. God moved. People started getting saved. In fact, in Galatians, he says, you received the word of the Lord so warmly. So as Paul and his missionary mindset would have him, he moved on. And when Paul moved out, another group came in called the Judaizers. Now the Judaizers started confusing people because they said Paul was almost right. You gotta have Jesus, but if you're gonna be right with God, you, you, gotta, you gotta go through this ritual. And since we're all men here, they're talking about circumcision. So a man, it caused so much confusion in the church. Do you have to go through that? Did you have to have that? So when Paul got wind of what was going on in the church in Galatia, that's when through the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul penned the book of Galatians. If you were to take the time to study the book of Galatians, you would find that it's Paul refuting the Judaizers of adding anything to the work of Christ. In Paul's mind, it is Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Don't add anything to him. Don't take anything away from him. So when he gets to the end of the book of Galatians, after he's refuted it, I want you to go to verse 17. Listen to how Paul puts it. He says, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version. He says, from now on, let no one trouble me. Basically, case closed. We've discussed it. And then he says the phrase, for I bear in my body the marks 
of the Lord Jesus. And it's on that word marks that I want to launch off tonight because in the original language, it's the word stigmata. What Paul is referring here is some people would say it would be like if we had a uniformed soldier here on stage and the chevron stripes on his sleeve. But in Paul's, it's so much more. In fact, the only way to describe it to you, if you really want to know the meaning of the word stigmata, it'd be if you got a cattle farmer and you watched him brand his cattle. That's what Paul is saying. Is he saying, I don't want anyone else to bother me because I bear in my body the branding of the Lord Jesus. And man, if we're gonna walk out of here and we're gonna make our mark for the kingdom of God. You see, if I'm wrong on this, I'm wrong for the rest of this message. But I believe every man inside this room, it is a God-given desire to make a difference. You wanna make a mark for your life. I'm here to submit to you, if you're gonna make a mark for the kingdom of God, there's gonna be four marks that have gotta be inside of us. And I want you to take your Bible, open it up, and keep to Galatians chapter six. Let's just kind of walk through these very quick. Look to verse one, all right? I'll read from the New King James Version. He says, brethren, must have been a men's rally, okay? Because he says, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one. Now, I'm gonna, if you have a pen or a pencil, I want you to circle the word spiritual because I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you, I wanted to use the term godly. I, I, I so bad wanted to use the term holy because we may have a frame of reference for those words. But let's be honest, when I ask you, are you a spiritual person, what in the world does that mean in America in 2023? I mean, is that something from a talk show host? Is that, you know, is that essential oils? I mean, what, what does it mean to be a spiritual person? It's right here in scripture. Do, do you know every man inside this room right now, you're in one of three conditions before God. Every one of us. We can't be in two and we're not exempt. The first condition is a natural man. The Bible says a natural man and, and it describes us that we are born in a fallen creation. It's much more than just being birthed on the planet. It means that we were born in a fallen creation. That means all of us have one thing in common. We've all sinned. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We don't like to admit it. We certainly don't like to discuss it, but we all have that one thing in common. If you don't believe me, let me prove it to you. If you've ever told a lie in your entire life, would you just raise your hand right now? Just, just keep it up, keep it up. I want you to look around the room right now. Do you see all the liars at this conference? Do y'all see that? Uh, you can drop your, and for the few of you who did not raise your hand, <laughs> liar. I mean, you know, that, that's, I mean, that's, I, why do I do that? I, I don't do that to embarrass you, but I do that because some of you men are in this, you're sitting there and you believe you're the only one that's messed up. You believe you're the only one that has a life that's not perfect. And I'm here to tell you, every one of us has got the same problem called sin. You gotta go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, you'll see that the woman, Eve, was deceived. But Adam, standing right beside her, deliberately disobeyed. And sin has flown through the veins of every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. We're sinners before a holy God. Now, men, listen to me. I love to preach about the love of God. He is, so, he is a loving God. He is a forgiving God. But I have never read my Bible where it says three times he's loving, loving, loving. 
I've never read where it says three times, he's forgiving, forgiving, forgiving. But you know what I do read? He is holy, holy, holy. I just want you to understand this. Sin is taken very serious in scripture. Why? It's not a, it's not a habit. It's not a, it's not a disease. It's, it's a nature, a sin nature that I have offended God. He is holy, which means absolute perfection three times over. There's no way I can come into his presence. And I know you're probably sitting here saying, man, are we in this situation called some old boy named Adam? We are, but none of us can blame him. Why? Because we've already raised our hands. Every one of us in this room has already chosen to rebel against him. And because we rebelled against him, I can't come into his presence because I've sinned. But here's the gospel. When I couldn't come to him, he came to me. Jesus came and lived a sinless, perfect life. For 33 years, he walked among us. And I challenge you to read it. You'll never once hear him say, pay me. He doesn't even say, thank me. He says, follow me. He knew his mission on this planet. And if you are out there and you've bought into this kind of artistic impression of Jesus, that he's some frail guy with jaundiced skin and, you know, just why? No, he was a man. You want to know his story? The 12 guys who said, Jesus, we got your back. One of them turned him in and the other 11 split at the first sign of trouble. Soldiers came up and as hard as they could, they smacked him in his face. They gave him a crown of thorns to put upon his head and Pontius Pilate, the dude that could have set him free or, or condemned him to die, he was out there going, man, you've done nothing wrong. You need to be set free. But there was this group yelling, crucify him, crucify him. So Pontius Pilate, he compromised. That sound familiar to most of us inside this room? He tried to appease both crowds. He said, if I condemn him to die, that's an innocent man's blood on my hands. But if I set him free, there's gonna be a mob. And so he gave him the cat of nine tails. The cat of nine tails, long wooden pole with nine leather straps woven throughout those leather straps were pieces of bone and pieces of rock. They get Jesus, tie his hands around a long wooden pole. Soldiers would be on both sides behind him and there they would beat him according to Roman law 39 times. They wouldn't beat him the fourth, 40th time because they thought that would bring death. So they beat him within an inch of his life. And after all that, he would have bled to death right there on the side of the road. But this crowd was out of control. Crucify him, crucify him. So Pontius Pilate is now backed up against the wall. And he says, okay, this is no longer on me. This is you. And he goes over and he scoops his hands in a bowl of water. If you've ever heard the phrase, I'm washing my hands of this, here's where it comes from. And he says, crucify him. And they gave him his own cross. If you study it in Roman period, it was two crisscross beams wood weighing approximately 200 pounds. So here's a man who's been beaten within an inch of his life, been up for over 31 consecutive hours. Now they're giving him this cross to carry up the side of the hill. If you study, you'll find that he did not carry his cross. I'll submit to you, I used to think that was because he was beaten too bad. There's not a man in this room, I don't care how much you can bench press, you wouldn't have been able to carry out that feat if you'd been beaten that bad. But if you study Roman law, Here's what you'll find. Once a person has been found guilty, part of their punishment is to carry their cross to the place of crucifixion. Zone in. The reason why Jesus didn't carry his cross, he was innocent. So they grabbed a man, they said, Simon, come and carry his cross. And they drugged Jesus up the rest of the hill and laid him on those two cross beams of wood and they nailed spikes, one through each wrist, one through both feet, and they lifted him up so the whole world could see. And you may be sitting here tonight and you're going, man, I, I, I know he died. 
I just don't know why he died. Because he loves you. And because he loves me. So he's a loving God. He's a forgiving God. But because of our sin, there had to be a payment for it. And if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm not even saying you're an immoral person. I'm not even saying you're a non-religious person. I'm saying the Bible says you're a natural person. You're apart from the living God that wants to save you and give you peace and give you everything you're searching for. Now, there's another condition that's called carnal. Paul introduces that in the book of Romans. Let me just tell you, in Alabama, here's how I would describe someone who's carnal. It is someone who says, I know Jesus, but then they live like they really don't. Jesus puts it like this, with their lips they praise me, but their hearts are far away. If I was using just some good old boy terminology, their audio is not synced with their video. What they're saying is not matched up with the way they're living. That, that's a carnal person, okay? So you got the natural person, you got the carnal person, and then you got the spiritual person. You know who the spiritual person is? It's the man in this room who knows Jesus intimately. That Jesus Christ has changed your life. You, you could be sitting here right now and you're saying, man, I came to this men's conference. I, I wanted some chuckles. I, I wanted some who that. And I, I wanted some fun. And man, I, I'm confused. You may be sitting here right now going, Scott, I don't know if I'm the natural person. I don't know if I'm the carnal person. I don't know if I'm a spiritual person. Here's the question. Has Jesus changed your life? Because you may meet a religious person and forget about it. You may go through a ritual and get over it, but you don't meet Jesus and get over him. There's a Russian proverb. And I know we shouldn't talk about Russia too much. Okay, shh, they're listening. All right, but it's 200 years of age. I found this during the pandemic. Listen to what it says. Those who've been infected with the disease of Jesus will never be cured. There's no cure for Jesus. Now, if you're not careful, I, I was going on a mission trip. I had to get some shots because where they told me I, I, I was going, it was unsedentary, you know, it was just very dirty. And what they told me I could get and go through, I was going to get the shot. So I showed up at my doctor's office. He was going to give me a shot. I know him. He's a family friend. I stopped him. And I said, Bert, what are you about to do to me? And he said, well, I'm about to give you a shot. And I said, yep, but what are you about to put in me? I'll never forget what he did. He stopped, he tilted his head up, and he started laughing. And he said, well, I'm, I'm, honestly, I'm about to give you the disease. But he said, don't worry, I'm just gonna give you enough of it to where your body can build a defense against it and you'll never become infected. Men, you better listen up. If you're not careful in the panhandle of Florida and the buckle of the Bible Belt, you'll get just enough Jesus in your system where you can come to services like this because these folks are talented musically. You'll even listen to a message as long as it's not too long and there's a couple of jokes in it and everything's fine. And you can walk out the same way you walked in and you'll get just enough Jesus where you won't be infected with him. You'll just be vaccinated against him. So the question I gotta ask you is not who's the God of multiple choice in your life. Has Jesus changed your life? Paul says, you who are spiritual, those of you who know Jesus, and as I walked up on this platform, you saw there were steps. The fundamental step, Mark, you gotta have is you gotta know Jesus. It's not, if you're, I mean, it's one of those that Jesus didn't die on the cross for you to be maybe about anything. He died on the cross that you know you have eternal life. If you're sitting in this room, you don't know if you know Jesus tonight, you've got to secure that thing. 
because that's the mark. You gotta be spiritual. You gotta know Jesus. Now, let me give you the second mark. Go to verse three. Listen to what he says. It builds on one another because he says in verse three, for if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So if the first mark is being spiritual, the second mark is gonna be that of humility. Listen, he says, if you think you're something when you're nothing, you you deceive yourself. Paul is also the one who wrote the book of Ephesians where he says, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's it's the gift of God. You can't boast about it because you didn't do anything about it. So it makes sense. But what Paul is saying is that a, a life of humility, by the way, humility is not being weak. Humility is living to a higher standard. You have accountability inside your life. We, we've heard all of our life, pride, okay? Pride, pride, is, pride comes before, in the margin of your Bible, write this verse, Proverbs 16, 18, because that's where we get it from, okay? And here's what the proverb says. It says, a haughty spirit comes before a fall. Now, I, I was like, haughty spirit? You know what I found in word study? A haughty spirit means a warped view of oneself. Got news for you, fellas. We've all been there. Every one of us had a little warped view of ourselves. We need to be brought back into reality. Thank God for our wives, amen? I mean, they bring us back into reality. One of my favorite stories, Muhammad Ali. After the thriller in Manila, the story goes that he got on the plane. He had the championship belt on. He was parading around. The stewardess came up and said, sir, please sit down, put your seatbelt on. The plane's about to take off. To which Muhammad Ali quipped, Superman doesn't need a seatbelt. To which the stewardess replied, Superman doesn't need an airplane, okay? Sit down, put your seatbelt on, we're about to take off. That, that, that's what you call a warped view that had to be brought back into reality. That's a haughty spirit. We've all need to be brought down a notch. Here's what the Bible says. Pride comes before destruction. Pride, by definition, is a self-sustaining spirit. It is when you're, when you're at the point where you're no longer the man you're the only man. You're at the point where you're not listening to anyone else's counsel, you're not taking anyone else's advice, and you're bent on doing it your own way. And here's where I gotta make us all realize there's two forms of pride. There's arrogance. That's the one we all see. But in church life, it's the other form of pride that's just as deadly, but sometimes overlooked, and I'm gonna be honest with you, it's the one I battle. It's not arrogance. It's false humility. It's when we know how to act. And it's when we will sit there and we will listen to him preach or your preacher preach or truth proclaimed. And we will nod, we will smile in agreement the whole time we know when we walk out of here, we're gonna do exactly what we want to do. That's the reason God says, he resists the proud. The word resist means to put up, their, put up his fist, but he gives grace to the humble. But I, I've realized my biggest problem is not you. Look at me. Your biggest problem is not them. My problem's me. And your problem's you. I, I, I'm talking to those of us in this room that know Jesus because I still won't be the man. 
You know, he asked you if you ever watched the movie 300. Has anyone ever watched the movie Courageous? Has anybody ever? Okay, several of you have. All right, I was doing a devotional for the film crew over in Albany when that was being done. And uh, I was gonna be back to Birmingham. And I'll never forget, I'd done the devotional. I was walking out the door. And right when I was walking out, Michael Catt, who's the pastor, who is the executive producer, he yelled out from across the room. He said, hey, Scott, do you wanna be in the movie? And I acted just like every one of you. I was like, yes, sir, I do. A star is born. I mean, I thought, this is my chance, man. I, I went through wardrobe, uh, nine hours of filming. It was the most critical scene when they were going to arrest the bad cop. And they realized when they were filming that uniformed officers would never arrest another uniformed officer so they could have an officer of internal affairs. They had to have somebody in a suit. And with my hand in the air, I promise you this is the true story. I, there was one suit on the set and I was the only one who could fit in the suit. So that's how I got the part. So uh, they invited invited me to Fox Theater, an entire row of seats. I brought several of my friends. We were watching the movie. I knew when it was happening because I was there. I'd filmed it. I was like, hey, here it comes. Here it comes the scene. And if you've seen the movie, they cut out all my part. I mean, all you can see is the back of my head. I mean, that's the only thing you can see. And I'll never forget that evening. Everyone was gripped onto the screen except for my row of friends. I looked at Jordy Henson. You know, Jordy was bent over. He was laughing hysterically. He's like, Scott, you're not in this movie. Here's what he said. He said, you're nothing but a glorified extra. And I've never forgotten that phrase. Because men, if we're gonna make our mark on our families, you may think it's rising up being the man. If we're gonna make a mark for eternity, I gotta realize when Jesus comes into my life, I step aside. He's the leading man. I'm nothing but a glorified extra in this thing called life. I'm telling you, these build on one another because once you know Jesus and you live by a higher accountability that it's all about him and not about me, let me give you the third mark. Go to verse nine. Here's the mark of persistence. Look what he says in verse nine. He says, and let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season we shall reap, look at the next phrase, if we do not lose heart. Rich said it just a few moments ago. And I don't know who this is for in this room, but this is the second time it's coming to you. Don't give up. Don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up on your kids. Don't give up on your parents. Don't give up on your friends. Don't give up on that situation. Don't give up. In fact, don't give up on Jesus. Some of you inside this room, y'all walk through some stuff. The number one type of person I've met since 2020 is the discouraged person. We've been through so much stuff. You know, Proverbs says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And if you think about the term deferred, it means to snatch away. It means to play keep away. You think about everything people have put hope in in our society, and it's been snatched away since 2020. They've been failed by the government. They've been failed by medicine. They've been failed by education. They've been failed by religion. They've been failed by society. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. I gotta ask you gentlemen something. What would have to happen for you to turn your back on Jesus? Because according to Barna, we're not gonna have 30% of our church back after this pandemic. So I, I, I want you to just sit there and I want you to think, 
What would have to happen for you to turn your back on Jesus and just say, hey, this Christian stuff, I'm, I'm, I'm done with. I hope your answer is nothing because I can't stand up here tonight and tell you that something's not gonna take place in your life. Now, I'm not standing up here tonight saying that if you've gone through an accident or there's been an illness, God's mad or God's trying to get back at you. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying that God's lost his sovereignty because God is almighty. He is all sovereign. But I'm telling you, because we live in a fallen creation, stuff happens. Most of us have already forgotten about the Garden of Eden. But may I remind you, the Bible says creation moans because of the fall. And because we live in a fallen creation, stuff happens, but that doesn't put a condition upon our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because he will not meet us in a conference room and negotiate our salvation and say, Jesus, I'll give you my eternity, but don't you touch my family. I'll give you my eternity, but don't you touch my health. Listen, when that stuff happens, it is not all, it's not about us, it's all about Jesus. In fact, if this makes if this, if this doesn't make sense to you, may I remind you there's only been one perfect person on this planet. His name is Jesus. If anyone should have, you may be in here saying, but I'm a good guy. Jesus was the perfect guy. You know what the Bible calls him? A man of sorrow acquainted with grief. Man, there was, let me just remind you of the guy who wrote this. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree with me that if anyone wanted to quit, it'd have to be the apostle Paul? He's the one up there going, hey, don't give up. We shall reap if we do not lose heart. Don't give up. If anyone wanted to give up, everywhere he went, people were trying to kill him. They'd say, Paul, if you don't be quiet, we're gonna beat you. And Paul said, all right, go ahead and beat me. they say, Paul, if you don't be quiet, we're gonna stone you. And I'm talking about with rocks, not that other, you know. He said, well, at least he was comforted. No, I'm not, he felt the rocks upon him. He said, man, Paul was like, man, if you, don't be, if you don't be quiet, Paul, we're gonna throw you in jail. And Paul was just like, hey, I'm trying to get to Rome. There's a lot of prisoners down there. They need Jesus. And finally, somebody says, Paul, if you don't be quiet, we're gonna kill you. And Paul says, go ahead. To live is Christ, but to die is. To be absent from the body is to be present with. Paul says, I've already crossed the line. I'm gonna tell you something, guys. This is good to preach, but it's stinking hard to live. I, I just, I look at me. Don't give up. In just a few moments, there's going to be a time of invitation. And some are inside this room and you're going through some stuff. I'm not asking you to tell everyone. I'm just asking you to have, look at me. Be able to tell someone. And in just a few moments when we stand, when I think of solitaire, I think of a silly game or I think of prison. I don't think of the Christian life. You see, he says, there's gonna be a mark of spiritual, there's gonna be a mark of humility, there's gonna be a mark of persistence. Let me give you the fourth one. That's found in verse 14. And I, I wish I had it in the New Living Translation. This is in the New King James. Let me read it to you. It says, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In the New Living Translation, it has a phrase, because of that cross, it changes everything. Because of what Jesus has done for me, it's changed everything about me. There's nothing called private religion. They're saying there's two things you should never talk about, politics and religion. I don't know about politics, but we better start talking about Jesus. Tony Evans says, if everyone else is coming out of the closet, why can't evangelicals come out of the closet and talk about the truth of Jesus Christ? 
If I'm going to be passionate about something, I want to be passionate about Jesus. You know, Rich played college football. I never played college football. I love college football. College football is a great sport, but it's a lousy God. In 1869, the first college football game was ever played. The two teams, Princeton versus Rutgers. They tell us that there were 150 people at that game. Living in the South, I'd say if these two teams played last fall, they'd probably have the same attendance, amen? All right, but anyway. <laughs> Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Auburn. Man, you can even get Vanderbilt in there. You're gonna get thousands of people show up. I'm not slamming college football. What I am asking you is isn't it a shame that the body of Christ is worshiping what we should play with and playing with who we should worship. Asbury College, 10 days, solid prayer, singing, repentance. I told my wife after the January conference, I said, I don't wanna be overly dramatic, Tara, but I saw something in this conference I've never seen before. There was open repentance. There, there were people that didn't really worry about their prestige. They, they wanted to get right with God. Now, I, I know I'm, I'm dealing with a, with a group of men. And I'm dealing with men, men, men's men inside this room. I'm praying for God's men. I'm praying that if you're in this room, you don't know Jesus. I, I, I know you, there were several of you that stood up earlier. I don't know who's in this room. You know what I do know? Jesus knows who's here. And I love that because um, he, he knows everything about us. And if you're inside this room and, and you don't know Jesus, the greatest privilege I have is to share with you the one that changed my life. I, I, I love the, it's only one step to Jesus. I want you to understand it's not a 12-step program. It's one step, surrender. The Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I love the word whosoever because a boy from Inslee, Alabama had a whosoever on his life. Man from Chipley, Florida, whosoever is in your life. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word call means to stretch forth. That's what it means. Some of us have it in our mind that it's a little baby like Jet reaching out to its parents, but in Paul's writing, it's urgent. So let me give you the mind picture. It'd be if you were in a body of water and you started drowning. And right before you went under the last time, a life preserver hit the top of the water. And you know what you're going to do at that point. You're going to grab the life preserver because you need to be saved. Now, some of you could be sitting here saying, wait a minute, that means I saved myself. Nope. You're drowning. You can't save yourself. You have to trust the life preserver. I'm not the life preserver. Rich is not the life preserver. Much as I love First Baptist, it's not the life preserver. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How do you, how do you, how do you, how? I don't know a better way than a prayer. Now, some of you may be here as a guest and you're saying there's not a prayer written in scripture you're supposed to pray. There's not a prayer written in scripture exactly the way you're supposed to pray. I grant you that. But men, listen to me. The Bible teaches about prayer. Isaiah says, if I have sin in my heart, the Lord's not gonna hear me. Well, we got a problem because we've already raised our hand. 
So if the Lord's not gonna hear us, you go to the New Testament and Paul says, pray without ceasing. So how do you go from God not hearing your prayer to God always hearing your prayer? You go to Jesus. And Jesus met a religious person. I love how he brings it into focus. It's a religious person that thought he knew everything, but he had one question. He said, Jesus, how can a man be born again? The question we're all debating, how can a man be born again? And Jesus says, don't marvel at this. That which is flesh is flesh. That which is spirit is spirit. And here's what he says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. How are you born again? Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, it all fits together. And this evening, if you're in this room and Jesus has never changed your life, you look at me. I'm not talking about walking the aisle. I'm not talking about going through a ritual without Jesus. I'm not talking about trying to turn over a new leaf or trying to be a better person. The gospel's not about Jesus making bad people good. It's about dead people coming alive in Jesus. That's the reason he died. That's the reason he resurrected. If he just died for us, I'd say he's a good man, but don't you dare follow a dead man. Man, a lot of dead good men. On the third day, he, look at me, man, he's, he resurrected. No one's ever died to resurrect and never die again besides Jesus. Therefore, he is the only one who can issue life. He's the author and finisher of our salvation. Doesn't matter what Scott says, doesn't matter what Rich says, doesn't matter what you say, it matters what Jesus says. And tonight, if you'll call upon the name of the Lord, you gotta stand on fact, not your feelings. And you're gonna be saved. And you know what I love what the Bible says? They're gonna be throwing a party in heaven on your behalf. That's how much he loves you. This God loved you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. But on the third day, he resurrected because he knew he wanted to give you life. I don't know you, you don't know me. You didn't know I was gonna be here. I didn't know you were gonna be here. But God knew it all. And I don't wanna be a travel agent. Now, if you're a travel agent, I'm not slamming you, but you know what travel agents do? They send you an email and they say, enjoy. But you know what a tour guide does? The tour guide goes with you. Now, a tour guide doesn't do it for you. You have to experience it yourself, but a tour guide can be right there with you. If you'll allow me tonight, I can be your tour guide to lead you to Jesus. I can't do it for you, but I can be right here beside you. And I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And that prayer is not, I don't want you to say one word out loud. I want you to pray in your heart. The person beside you not know what's going on, not about you and them but I want you to talk to God. Don't try to recite it. Don't try to make sure every word's the enunciated. I just want you to talk to God. And if you're in this room and Jesus has never changed your life, tonight Jesus wants to step out of heaven and into your life. I wish I could do it for you, but I can't. But this can be your moment for all of eternity. So I'm just gonna ask, would all of us just bow our heads tonight? If we all bow our heads, no one's gonna, and, and they're gonna just be playing very softly, but with no one moving around and every head's bowed, every eye's closed, I'm gonna pray it out loud. And right there in your own space, I'm gonna invite you to pray this prayer. It goes like this, dear God, I know I've done some things wrong, but I know you love me to the point you sent your son to die on the cross for me. So right now, the best way I know how, I receive you into my life.
forgive me of my sin, make me brand new. You died for me, but I believe on the third day you resurrected. You love me. Now help me to love you. Thank you, God. Now with heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm just gonna ask with no one moving around, no one's looking, not a, not a, not a we're gonna put somebody there, we're gonna put somebody there. No, this is just in your own space. And I promise you, there's a madness for my method. But you gotta start somewhere. And to this point, you, you trusted Jesus. So we, we, there's nothing up my sleeves. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna point you out. But if tonight you just prayed that prayer for the first time, or let's be honest, it was the first time that you meant it. You want Jesus to change your life. You're tired of not knowing about eternity. You're tired of not experiencing the joy, the forgiveness, the peace, the hope, the love that all he has to offer. And tonight, the best way you know how, you prayed that prayer. No one forced you, no one coerced you. This was your decision with no one else looking around in this room, I'm just gonna ask you, would you very gently and silently just lift your face and look right up here at me, right up here at me, right up here at me, right up here at me. Because here's what I'm gonna tell you. In just a few moments, we're gonna stand. And the reason why I have you looking at me is I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm about to share with you. If you sincerely, earnestly prayed that prayer, no one can ever take Jesus away from you. He's not a God that's gonna play games. He's a God that wants to plant roots. So let me tell you what's gonna happen. We're gonna pray and then when we're gonna stand. And when we stand, there's gonna be Pastor Mike, there's gonna be other, some men down here at the front. And I'm gonna ask you to leave that. Just keep looking at me, don't, don't get scared. It's just you and me, no one else. But as soon as we stand, I'm gonna ask you to leave your seat. If you're in the middle, you scoot out. If you're on the end, you step out. You come forward, you grab their hand and say, tonight I cross the line. Tonight, I pray, you're saying, you're adding something to it. That's the reason I have you looking at me so you don't misunderstand. I'm not adding anything to it. But it really doesn't matter what I say. It matters what Jesus says. And here's how he puts it. He says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father. Let me just put it to you straight. I don't know if you prayed that prayer or not. I don't know if this is the first time, 30th time. I don't, I don't get into silly arguments, but here's what I am gonna tell you. If this new relationship with Jesus doesn't mean enough that you'll step out at a rally for Jesus for a group of men who love Jesus, who are gonna celebrate with you and rejoice with you, if you're not willing to tell them that you're a follower of Jesus, do you believe you're gonna be able to go back to your work, go back to your home, go back to your school, go back to your life and live for Him? I just don't want you to walk out of here with a half truth, man. And I'm gonna tell it to you straight. You may be the only one that comes. I'd rather that be your mentality and only be you here at the front than for you to sit back, wait on everyone else to make their decision. And then you're not following Jesus. You're just following a crowd. Jesus never says, follow my followers. Jesus says, follow me. So tonight is your moment. Tonight is when you cross the line and you're the man. Because there comes a point in everybody's life when the boys gotta stay seated and the man rises to the occasion. This is your moment. We're gonna pray for you, and then after we pray, we're gonna stand. And this is gonna be your time. So I'm gonna pray. So heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I don't, no one's gonna know if you prayed that prayer or not, but you know. 
And I just believe right now through the power of the Holy Spirit, he is continuing to draw you to himself. I believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And tonight when we stand, you come and confess Jesus. Others are in this room and you need to go back and be the man of God, your household. There are some who just need to come to this altar. The altar's gonna be open. There's gonna be some men that will pray with you. There's some who are battling depression, discouragement. There's some of you inside this room, you have had thoughts about giving up or giving in or giving over. And I'm just here to tell you, don't give up. Men, tonight, let's not allow a bunch of college students to be the leader of this revival. Would you allow God to break our hearts and be the men that he wants us to be? The altar's gonna be open. The men are gonna be here at the front. We're gonna pray. And then after we pray, we're gonna stand. Sean's singing, Christ is calling. Father, we ask you right now to speak to our hearts. And as you speak, help us to listen. And as you call, help us to obey. Draw us from where we are to where you want us to be. And I pray for every man, young or old, inside this room that just prayed that prayer. Will you give them boldness and guts like they've never known before to come out and to step out and claim you as the Lord of their life. God, bless this invitation like only you can. We'll give you the praise and glory for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together. You come right now. Come on, come on to Jesus. Come